All right, good morning. Welcome, everybody, to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your teacher of the mysteries, preacher of the heart, Brother Marty Leeds. It is Sunday morning here at 9.02 in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where we are. Looks like we got a few good birds trickling in. Uh, looks like we got a few people coming in this morning. Good to see. Welcome, everybody. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, we do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's why you're here. So thank you very much. Today we're going to talk about, we're going to get back into the book of Mark. This is chapter 18. This is number 80 of the Sunday services. Matthew chapter 18, become as little children. And that's what we're going to discuss today. Uh, Jesus' main message in chapter 18. Um, but before we do that, let's do a prayer. And this prayer is called, Become Like Little Children, which is very fitting. It's very apt for what we're going to be talking about today. So, Become Like Little Children prayer. Father Lord, I open myself to be taught and nurtured by you. I want to put on the character of a child and have the spirit of humility in me. Please show me the way that you want me to live. I pray that you help me overcome the spirit of pride that rejects teachings. Help me take off the attitude. Lord, becoming like a child gives a pathway to your kingdom. Allow me to get there. Let today be a great day for me and help me stay on top of every situation. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And we're going to talk about amen today. That's what we're going to talk about. So, <clears throat> chapter 18, become as little children. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's just jump into it and let's get going. We're going to talk about the rule of Kalel today, actually, as we're going to find out that this whole chapter actually has to do with the idea of the rule of Kalel. There's a lot of it in here, and I'll explain as we go what that is, and we've talked about it before, but we'll start a few chapter, we'll start a few verses here, and then we'll get into it. The first thing I'm going to show you is that before you even get into the verses, they're going to actually reference the rule of Kolel, okay? And we'll talk about this. What the rule of Kolel, I'll get into that in just a second, but this is chapter 18, and it starts with 18.1. So, you know, we could look at this as chapter 18, verse 1, or 181, okay? Um, and I'll show you this, and we'll get back into it. So, 181, well... 181 is the 42nd prime number. Now, the, the chapter of Matthew starts with 42 generations, right? Da Abraham to David, David to Babylon, Babylon to Christ, separated into 14, three 14s, and it adds to 42. So the first thing we can see is the 42nd prime is 181. So we're starting on chapter, verse 1, chapter 18, 181, right? 181 is the 42nd prime. It's only one away from what? 180. Okay, this will be important. I'm going to lay this foundation like we always do, and then you'll see later on why I'm why I'm talking about all this. 181. This is the 42nd prime. Well, that's only one away from what? 180, which is the internal degrees of the triangle. Correct. So it's only like one off here. Okay, that'll be a theme as we move on. Just so you guys know, the 42nd prime, which is 181, is what I named this church after. So I encoded when we named this church. It's called the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. And when I name this church, I, I encode Gamatria in it. So just so you know, there I do this occasionally. Uh, so when we name the church, it's 181. It's the 42nd prime, which is what? One away from 180, is it? Right? Okay. So there's it's one off, in other words. That's going to be a theme today. We're going to discuss that all throughout this chapter. Okay. So let's get going here. Verse 1. This is what he says. 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, well, before we get into this, 
The last uh, chapter 17, we ended, I don't know if you guys remember this, we ended with the, Jesus performed this miracle, basically. He was with Peter, and they had to pay the money to go into the temple. And he's like, hey, go into this big fish, and then look into that big fish's mouth, open the mouth, and you're going to find a coin in there, and then use that coin to go pay the Jews to go into the temple, right? So that's how it ended up, right? Which is this hilarious story, basically, about pretty, uh, quote-unquote, anti-Semitic the Bible is, about essentially ripping on the fact that the Jews uh, worship money is essentially, as far as I can tell, what that parable is all about. Then it gets into here. And then the disciples come up to Jesus and saying, hey man, dude, who's the best in the, who's the best in heaven? Okay, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we're gonna find out who the greatest is in the kingdom, who God sees as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And Jesus called a little child unto him, 18.2, and set him in the midst of them. Okay, in the midst means in the middle. That's what it means, okay? So when, when Jesus called a little child, so basically there's a group of disciples hanging around and Jesus grabs just a random child. This disciple comes up, who's the best in heaven? Jesus just like grabs a child, grabs him, pulls him in the middle of these disciples. It's exactly what it says in the midst of them. It says this guy, this kid right here, he's the greatest in heaven. <clears throat> okay. Well, as we're going to see, what is this a reference to? As we're going to see, this is all we're going to... Rule of Kolel, one extra, as we're going to see, and in the middle is going to be the theme today. So a child in the midst of. Well, this is a reference to the monad, as we're going to see. And you'll see that the, the Bible makes it very clear it is, right? So we know the monad is what? Monad is a representation of what it's made by the compass. You put, a, you put a compass down, you swing it 360 degrees around, right? 360 degrees. And what does that create? This creates the symbol of the sun. It creates a symbol of wholeness, totality. It's a symbol of what? The spark, the divine spark of God that's with, within you and how that is directly connected to God above. God is the totality of all, grabs everything, everything in creation, everything we can think, everything beyond we can think. God grabs it all, centers himself within the very essence of himself and that center is within you. That's what the monad is all about. And that's what this whole chapter is going to be all about. It's all about the fact that this actually this is an alchemical illustration that I saw. And it says, essentially, all things are in one and in one all. And that's really going to be the theme. That's what the, that's what the monad is all about. In this totality, right, you go down and within the small is in the, is in the large and the large is in the small. And we'll cover that again. It's a very fractal idea. That's what this is all about, as we'll see this whole chapter, okay? This is the rule of Kolel, okay? The rule of Kolel is, it's this rule in Gematria, in which, and it's a very philosophical thing, okay? But they use it in mathematics to, to you know, display the, the philosophy, the theology, the theological concept behind this. The rule according to which one digit may be added to or subtracted from a word, and the word maintains its value. Now, what is the philosophy behind this? Okay, the Kabbalistic rule of Kolel states that one digit can be added to or subtracted from a value without affecting its value. Okay, and then it says that the monad symbolizes the divinity, that the divinity, God himself, could come and go as he pleased, adding nothing and taking nothing away. Because why? Because God is unity. He's, to he's total. He's fullness. You can't take God away from things and put things back in. So this rule of Kolel is basically saying add one or subtract one and God's still there kind of thing, right? 
And we're going to see that this is what this whole chapter is all about. I want to lay this groundwork before we get into all of the math, okay? The word kolal, so this is a cardinal rule in gematria. The word kolal in Hebrew basically means a community. That's what it means, okay? So this rule of kolal, which is a rule that says you can take one or add one, right? And then you look at the word and it basically means community, a gathering, a collective, a general. That's what it means, okay? And that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna see uh, what Jesus is referencing here today is the fact that this idea of this one this this divine spark that's that's put in the human vessel that we need to account in other words okay so let's start over here the same time Jesus came the disciples came into Jesus and he's like who's the great who is the best person in heaven Jesus just grabs a child throws him in the middle of him, in the midst of the monad, if you will, and says, and says, Verily I say unto you, except ye can ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So, let's do this. This is the first line. Okay? A lot of, like I said, a lot of foundation, a lot of groundwork before we get going here. This is the gematria of the first line. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's this greatest single being? You're going to find out that Jesus is saying, Every divine spark within is the greatest being. He's just going to grab a child and be like, This one. Then they're going to reference all of this, and they're going to give you multiple ways mathematically to show this to you. Okay? Ready? Here we go. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is just going to grab a regular child, just a kid, like this one right here. That, the divine spark that's within him, that's the greatest. Then they're going to give you the math to show you this. This whole thing equals 351. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is 351. Everybody see that? Excuse me. Okay. 351 is the 26th triangular number. So they're referencing 26 here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way to 26. And you get 351. Okay. What is the number 26? Every time the number 26 reference is a reference is referenced, it's representing the divine spark within you, the mathematics, the concepts, the terminology. Every time 26 is mentioned, Lord God in English gematria, Lord equals 13, God equals 13. What is that? It's the Lord God, it's the monad. It's a representation of the fact that God, that single point, this Kolel, this one extra one, has been put in the center of you. That's what 26 means. Lord God equals 26. The Hebraic version of Lord God, the Tetragrammaton, is what? Equals 26. Yad, he, vav, he equals 26. What is Yad, he, vav, he form? Those, 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 we've talked about all of this, so it's all review. What is Yad, he, vav, he form? It forms a human being. Yad is the head, he is the arms, vav is the, is the torso, and then the other vav is the legs. What is, it what is it representing? God within you. There's 26 pieces of the cube. Eight points, so you can see it in the bottom there. Six faces and 12 lines. Eight plus six plus 12 is what? 26, 26 total pieces of the cube. What does the cube represent? Up, down, left, right, forward, reverse, and where God rests, which is right in the center, correct? Our Kabbalistic system, the Gematria system is based on this. The construction of the entire universe is based on that geometry. And what is it all pointing to? Lord God, what is it pointing to? God within you. The Hebraic Tetragrammaton, what is it pointing to? God within you. The cube, what is it pointing to? God within you. There's a spark 
that's within you. And every single one of these things is pointing to this. 351 is the 26 triangular number. Okay, this is the first line. Now, let's look at the let's look at the consonants. Let's look at the vowels. This is the vowels of that line. Do you know what that equals? 126. Do you know what that is? We just got the cube all day long here. We got the city of God as a cube. We've got the cube there. Do you know what 126 is? It's the number you use to double the cube. So you're doubling the volume of this cube. 1.26 is the number. So now you've got a cube. They're gonna give you the math of that cube in the first verse. Then they're gonna give you the math in that same verse to double the volume of that cube. What does that mean when you double? Oh, it's a pair. It's like you're doubling. You're doubling the the volume of the city of God, if you will. Here's the city of God. Let's double it. That's the exact math they're going to give you. Then, and of course, we know Jesus is a representation of the cube. This is all a review. Okay, a lot of math before we get going here. So that's the that's the vowels of that verse. This is the consonants. And it equals 225. So the first thing they're going to give you is the 26 triangular number that points to Lord God in multiple languages and points to the cube and all of those things to point, point to God right within you. Then it's going to give you the math to double that cube in the vowels. Then the consonants are going to give you what? The number 225. Do you know what, the, do you know what 225 is? It's, the number, it's an orbital period of Venus. It's 225 days. Okay. That's the planet of beauty. We just got done talking about the Ojibwe story of creation and they talked about how their story, they said this primordial man and that primordial man mated with Venus, mated with the morning star, which is planet of beauty. And those two beings are what created all of humanity. <clears throat> you know why this is important? Because we also talked about last week about how the riddle of this whole experience is to find the middle. The riddle is to find the middle. The riddle is to find the middle. And when you find the middle, that's when you're going to find all of this all of this magic that just comes out everywhere. This is exactly what this verse is telling you about. It's to find the middle. Do you know how you find the middle? Well, you just, you do this. It's a middle finger. Oh, wait, no, it's the wrong way. Let me, let me try that again. This is inappropriate for a church service, Marty. Let's actually do this the other way. Let's grab this middle finger and pull it down. And now let's look at our hands. So I just put the middle finger up in my, I just put the middle finger down in my hand, right? This is my middle finger. I put this down. And do you know what is left? Do you know what's left on your hands? Count them. Got two here, one, two, two here, and five here. In other words, two, 25. And that's right on your hands. And this whole chapter will be referencing your hands yet again in the exact mathematics that I'm showing you right here, okay? So, in other words, we want to find Venus, this planet of beauty that has a relationship with, with, the, with the sun and earth and all that. So we're just going to go to the middle finger, we're going to bring it down and we're going to have the number of days of Venus right on our hands. It's 225. Okay. How do, so that's 225. That's the orbital pe period of Venus. 225 divided by, or 365, the number of days of the sun divided by 225 is 1.618. It's, it's phi. It's, it's what you would find in a pentagram. So as we've covered numerous times, the natural pattern that Venus and, and the Earth make, the 365, if you will, the, 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 the sun around the Earth, our flat stationary Earth, that sun and Venus, 365 and 225, 
gives you 1.62, 1.618, which is found in what? The degrees of the pentagram. The five, the number five. Then where did we find this? We went to the middle. Do you know what the middle number is? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine. What's in the middle? It's the number five. And then we went to the middle finger and what did we find? 225, the number of Venus. The riddle is to find the middle, as we're going to see. So all of this stuff comes from this verse. Everything there, doubling the cube, the mathematics of the cube, and then they're going to give you the number directly of the pattern of Venus, which is a relationship to the number five. Okay? That's all within the first verse. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be converted? This whole process is to, is to find balance, is to find, right? This is what we talked about. The whole, you know, this, the, it's not the left way, it's not the right way, it's the middle path. It's always to find that balance. What do we do at the, the weighing of the heart ceremony, right? What happens? You balance your heart at the end of the whole thing and then God's like, how'd you do? Right? It's all about moderation and balance. Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you should not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is conversion? What is this thing? It's ultimately to find this path, this way, this middle path, this middle way, right? This is all about apotheosis. This is what the whole thing is. Conversion, we talk about being converted into a Christian. That's what, this is all what it's all about. Theosis, apotheosis, divinization, deification. Theosis refers to the process of becoming a God. And you become the God through what? Becoming as like a, like a little child, as we'll find out. Okay? This is the entire process. Purification, ultimately, illumination, and deification. These are essentially the three steps. The first thing is, is to purify the vessel. And you'll see this is what Jesus is talking about, the whole thing. <clears throat> what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of existence? What are we doing here? The entire purpose of man's existence is to bring the soul back home to God through alchemical conversion. And we're going to see that this is exactly what Jesus says. They are entire process of man. What is man's role here? To undergo this. To undergo this process. And that is to become like childlike. And we'll talk about there. We'll talk about that. Whosoever there shall humble himself as a little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And who shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Right? Humble himself as a little child. What does humility mean? Obviously means a modest or low view of one's importance. Freedom from pride or arrogance. When you, when you humble yourself, you realize you're not better than anybody else. You're on par, you're equal. The world is egalitarian in this sense, not like physically or the natural world isn't egalitarian, meaning like men aren't exactly physically equal with women. No, that's all horse shit. But spiritually, divine, the divine spark within, all of that is equal. So when you humble yourself, what are you doing? You're recognizing the very thing that the math that they just point, they just pointed out in this whole first verse. This is why I had to lay all this out before we could talk about this. Everything that they're pointing to you in this, right here, this 351, this 26, everything is what? Saying that that point, that spark within God is equal within every single human being. It's all equal. Oh, that spark that's within that human being, that's equal. That cube, that vessel, like up, down, left, right, forward, and reverse, the spark that's within there, that rule of kolal, that extra one, that's equal with every other single human being. 
And when you humble yourself, when you when you get into the actual spiritual path, you recognize the equality that every single human being has. We are, we are all children of God. We just have to, of course, recognize this. And this is exactly what he's talking about here. Humility is to recognize, oh, I'm going to humble myself, but I'm not better than anybody else. So ego, and this is this is the interesting thing that down here, as far as like your physical um, success is concerned, monetarily, that sort of stuff, number of subscribers and followers you have on your and your YouTube or whatever it is here, ego will actually help you in all of those areas. Will help you succeed, quote unquote, in all of those areas, but it's not going to help you for shit when it gets up there. And that's what he's saying. Okay, so you can see it's like, oh, look at this person. They're so, oh, I'm so awesome. I got my shit together. I'm just killing it, right? And they, they're like, and you look at them. It's like, oh, I wanted, I want to be just like that person. They've got their shit together. They're making a lot of money into it. That might be good down here, but up there it means jack freaking all to God. So ego, and this is this is the little play that happens down here. So ego, self-aggrandizement, power, fame, they may assist you down here. Those things might be helpful in your quest down here right? Depends on what your quest is. If you want to get home to God, it's not going to help for shit. But if you do want to get success, if you do want to make a bunch of money, if you do want a bunch of followers, you can utilize all those things and it will help you if that's what your goal is. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to humble yourself and recognize that you are equal with all those people, even your enemy, as we found out, even your enemy. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me, receiveth Christ. You receive this child to recognize I'm th this little child, right? The spark that's within this child is equal with me and I'm the equal, right? You receive that child, you receive Christ. What is, when we say amen, what, what, is, what is it? It's an anagram for name, right? Which is a man, right? It's amen, amen. It's not that difficult, right? Just a little word play. A word by which a person or thing is denoted, right? So when you say, it's like, in my name, in my name. Okay, cool. Like, in my name. And then his name is Lord Jesus Christ, that sort of thing. And then we find out where do, where do, where is Christ? Where It's within you. It's centered within you. And it's, it's all over the Bible. Even the Catholic, this whole thing, what is it, spectacles, testicles, wallet and watch kind of shit, that thing, right? That pinpoints where Christ is, puts a cross right on you, even centers it in your heart pretty much. Draws a number four on you as well, like one, two, four, right? Literally centering Christ within you. And this is what this whole chapter is about. Christ in all. And this is Colossians 3.10. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, which is renewed in gnosis, after the image of him that created him. We have put, put on the new, you put on the Christ. Remember we talked about how we share the mind of Christ, that we're supposed to be in one mind with Christ? This is exactly what amen even means. It's like, in my name, amen. Who are you? What's your name? What is this? What, what's your name? It's Kevin, it's Marty, it's Claudia. No, it's I am, right? Whether it's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or un uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We are all children of Christ. And this is the whole point. We are all children of God by faith in G Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You put, uh, you literally become God. Okay? You are, you're all one in Christ Jesus. What did we start this whole thing with? 
that the the, the entire in this sense uh, basis of theology of Christianity is this: all things are in one and in one all. This is the zodiac man. This is the anthropogasm. This is all of it. We are made in that image. Okay. Let me keep going here. Why children? So he says, he's, so he's like, grabbed the disciples came. He's like, who's the greatest in heaven? He just grabs a child. He's like, the, the, sticks him in the middle, makes a monad, if you will. And this is this, this one here, right? Random child. Why, why children? What, what, is, what do children really, they embody uh, just in their being, right? Wonderment, a, pu- a purity of heart and mind, excitement. The world is magical, right? A child, when a child sees a butterfly, it's like, oh my God, it's like, what is that? You're like, ah, it gets all excited, that's the thing. Everything is new, everything is fresh. It's a renewed mind. A chi- when, when you're an adult, you've gone through all the process of right, inversion and perversion and b- getting your head filled with crazy ideas and scatterbrained notions and dumbass theories and going down this road and stuff like that. When you're a child, you haven't had that perversion yet. So you still have that, that you know, that essence of God within you, right? Where you, you, don't, you don't have to unlearn, right? And that's what, he, that's what God wants to get back to. That point where everything is magical in your world. Everything is poetry. Everything is mystical. It's that mystical vision is really what it is. And this is what all of the great poets and all the great, I would say, um, theologians have got to. That state of like, you know, uh, you know, everything is almost like, a, it's like a playground or something like that, right? Um, they haven't been perverted by the lies of the world. They're full of joy. Life is magical. Everything is new and amazing. Okay, and this is what we're trying to achieve, that mystical vision. This is, and I've read this before, it's the opening lines of Auguries of Innocence by William Blake. It really just sums it up. To see the world in the grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. I mean, that's really what it is, is to look, it's like, oh, you know, to recognize you're looking at your hand, it's like, oh my God, to see infinity within it, to have that mystical vision. This is the state of consciousness, the one mind of Christ that Christ wants us to get to. What is that? It's like a childlike state. To see a world in a grain of sand. The, 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 the naturalist and the, the Darwinian, that sort of thing, they're never going to see that. Why? Because they, they, can't, they, you know, they can't accept that worldview. A philosopher might declare that a universe could be made out of man, but the foolish would regard this as an impossibility, not realizing that a man is a seed from which a universe may be brought forth. Excuse me. God is the within and without of all things. God in everything. He is one universal spirit manifesting through an infinity of forms. And the mystical vision, the poetic vision, the childlike vision is to see that, is to see God within everything. Infinity of forms. God, therefore, is the spiritual seed planted in the dark earth. One of the great axioms is within the seed is everything. But then everything is the seed of everything. Excuse me. You know, last live stream, we just did the Ajibwe story of creation. And we talked about how there was the back of this turtle. And on the back of this turtle was a 13 by 28 matrix, right? And that there's lots of turtles that have this. And I was even talking about the fact that when I was in Hawaii, we were swimming with the turtles. And here I am in my mystical vision, my mystical mindset, right? And I'm looking at this turtle. I'm like, there's, there's the order. Logos is there. The order of the entire creation is on the back of that fucking turtle, right? Well, it is. It is. 13 times 28 is 364. That is a reference to a calendrical number, which is what? The reference to what? The order and pattern that God has put forward. We were on our property the other day in Missouri, and, this, and Jennifer's like, oh, look, it's a turtle. 
ah, it's a turtle. So I come over, and what do I do? I immediately start counting its shell, right? Because I'm a freaking nerd. Anyway, the back of the shell was uh, it was 11 by 24, right? It was 11, so there was 11, there was four in the here, one, two, three on the back. So there's three here. No, I'm sorry. Four here, four here, and three on the back. So there was 11, and then it was surrounding by 12 and 12. 12 little sections. You could easily see it. I counted it several times. So there was 12 on the right and 12 on the left. Huh. It's almost like that turtle is representing the 12 hours a day and 12 hours a night just by the pattern on the back of its shell. It's almost like God is speaking to me through a turtle. Then it had 24 and then in the middle it was 11. Do you know what happens if you add the numbers, the numbers between 11 and 24? This is more geeky, nerdy. I can see God in the back of a turtle shit. You add the numbers between 11 and 24, 12 through 23, do you know what it equals? 210. Adding one through 14, adding one through 14, 210. So on the back of that turtle was the 12 phalanges on its left side and the 12 phalanges on its right side. And then you counted between the numbers in the middle and the outside and you know what it gave you? The numbers of your hands. And that was all on the back of a turtle that was simply crawling across our property. That's a mystical vision. That's looking at that turtle and being like, whoa, he's got God all up in that business. That's what, that's the vision that God wants to see uh, to, to, you know, childlike eyes, wonderment again, you know, that sort of thing. And this is what that's all about. Okay. Let's, let's keep going. So let's talk about why, once again, children, why is it that angels are always referred to as children? And people have said, it's like, because the Vatican like to diddle the kids. No, that's not, well, that's, yes, that's true. But that's not why they have children all everywhere. Okay. So uh, why children? And then Jesus is referencing, like, I'm just going to grab children. We're going to relate. This is, this, you know, right here. This represents the kingdom of heaven. Why children? You guys ever see this? This is funny. Let's watch this one. Well, Your Holiness, thank you so much for bringing me on board. Michelangelo, it's a pleasure to have you here. I mean, this job, the Sistine Chapel, it's... Big job, big place, big yes. job. Well, look, I've got a few ideas um, that I've been working on, um, but, but I'd, love to know, I'd love to know what you've been thinking about. Yeah, you know, I was thinking, what's the thing that encapsulates the Bible and everything we do here the most? What do you think? Mm. Angels, right? Angels, That's it. That's okay. in one word. Um, well, I've read the book. Uh, you read the book, that's good. So we're thinking um, hundreds of eyes, um, they've got the wings, they've got a wheel. Yeah, well, this is the, you know, all that wheel stuff, all the wings and the being afraid stuff. That's pretty played out. Right. So I was thinking, maybe this time, why don't we make them a lot of young boys? <laughs> you, you want them to be young boys on the Yeah, I was thinking maybe this time we make them a lot of young boys. What about that? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've not imagined them as humans, so what do you think they'll be wearing, or...? Mikey... They're not wearing nothing. They're not wearing nothing in this one, Mikey. So it's just like a leaf covering... No. No. Right, um... <laughs> anyway, so, no, this has nothing to do with pedophilia and perversion. Right? Okay. So, um, children, this was in Prague. This is when we were walking in Prague over um, 
one of the bridges there. And you can see there's a saint on the right there, right? And the, the child is looking up to the saint and he's got the he's got the holy rosary and everything like that. And look at what's on top of his head. Look what's on his Golgotha, his skull there. What is that? Ah, it's like the same shit we talk about all the time. It's six around one. And it's literally on top of his Sahasrara, right? That would be his like, you know, seven chakra leading up and out of the, the Aries, the ram, the head, right? That's exactly what we talk about. So there's this child looking up at the, the and you know, he's all laughing. He's like, yep, yep, I, I, I get it. I've reached enlightenment. I've got the, that's quote, you know, a halo, if you will, around my head. Well, look at the one on the left. On the one on the left there is basically a pillar. It looks like sort of like an obelisk, if you will. On the top of the obelisk is a heart with a flame on it. And then around there is clouds. And then you can see it's little like children, right? Children, Okay. This, these are called putos. It's a work of art depicted as a chubby male child, usually naked and often winged. Why are they winged? Number one, why are they winged? Because they're floating up in heaven. They're in the heavens above. They're in the eternal realms. Once again, why are they children? Because they have that young, innocent, virgin purity about them. Okay? This is the gematria of the, you know, children. They're called angels, right? Angels, cherubs. And we'll get into cherub, exactly what a cherub is. This is the gematria for child, Christ, and cherub. 365, 365, 365. It all starts with 365. What does it represent? What is Christ, of course? Representation of what? The sun. Which is a representation of what? The order of the whole thing. Okay? And this is, now this is important because what those, what those little angels, right? So he's referencing a child. He's just grabbing a child, right? And we're going to see. He's like, this is a reference to angels. And what are the angels? The angels are the angles. They're angles of light. It's numbers, as we're going to see. A cherub, cherubim, um, is one who blesses, of course, right? This is the, it's a hierarchy of angels. This is what the etymology of uh, cherub is. It's a hierarchy of angels. The hierarchy of angels is meant to help us understand the qualities of God and how we might grow in the ways of holiness. It provides us with a sense of order, progress, and ascent in our understanding of how God's infinite knowledge establishes and maintains the order and beauty of creation through principles that we can grasp. As we're going to see, those angels, those childlike angels, angles, the cherubims, are numbers, and they're representing what? The ten emanations of God, the things that we can grasp. When God made the universe, he used those little children. He used those angels. And this is why, and this is, as far as I can tell, no other Christian can underst understands what is being said here in Genesis. And it's actually very easy to understand when you understand, you know, what they're representing. Genesis 126 doubling the cube, says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Our, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God used helpers in creating the universe. And what were those helpers? They were the numbers 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. They were the hierarchy of angels. Okay? Let us make man absolutely shows that God had used other assistance in the creation of making this world. Cherub is, means an order of angels. Winged angels, that's what it means. What is the order of angels? What is this order of angels? It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's put right in front of you. That's on your hands. This is Kabbalah. Everything that you're going to see going on in the rest of this chapter is all Kabbalistic. What is Kabbalah? It's number symbolism. 
<clears throat> that's what it is. It's un this is why it's it's almost like tragic that people will hear Kabbalah and then they'll they'll go running from it because once again these are principles in which you can come to understand and actually see the creation and order of this creation that God has made. You know, you just have to understand, you just have to flip the bird and you can understand the beauty of Venus is right here, okay? This is what angles and angels are. Now, why am I talking about this? Because why are angels, these angles, that are these principles that are put right in front of us and they're related to children and God used it in making all of the creation, then we understand we're trying to get to this, this state of mind where it's childlike, it's poetic, it's that mystical vision where everything is new and fresh and you can look at the back of a turtle and be like, holy shit, that kind of thing, right? When God made the universe, he used these angels to, to create everything. And what do they represent? Playfulness, purity, childlike wonderment, fun, excitement, joy. Everything's new and fresh. So God used those things, those qualities and essences to create the world. God wants you to be in, my, in mind with him, share the mind of Christ. And Christ is saying, be humble and become childlike. We, we are taught that our universe, especially in the sort of like, you know, the Big Bang, Darwinian evolution, sort of, you know, the, the world is this completely harsh place and stuff like that. That's what we're taught the world is. That's what we're taught how the world acts and how it is. God's saying something else. God's saying we have to get to that childlike state of mind and then we'll truly understand where we are. Hence why angels. Then it says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Holy shit, Jesus. Those are some damn harsh words. Listen to our Savior here. But who shall offend one of these? Why is he, why is he being so harsh? Because he's saying, what does this child represent? Number one, grab any child that represents this divine spark that's within everyone. What does it represent? It represents the childlike humility that we're supposed to seek. What does that child represent? Oh, the one mind of Christ that we're supposed to get to. It represents that mystical vision and that state of enlightenment, right? That's what it represents, okay? Then he's saying, hey, if you don't get that, if you offend this little child, it's better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you drown in the sea. Holy shit. Holy shit. Well, I'm saying this whole thing is about the monad. It's all about the divine spark within, and this is what a millstone looks like. <laughs> That's what a millstone looks like. What does that look like to you? Does that look like frickin' monad? Everything that we're talking about is all based on this fundamental geometry that is universal, eternal, okay? So when I'm saying this stuff to you, I'm not giving you the opinion of stupid Marty Leeds, okay? There's a millstone. If you don't find that childlike spark within you in the center of that circle, that's gonna lift you straight up into heaven and rejoice and sing with all of the saints, you might as well have that hung around your neck and it's gonna drag you all the way down. And what's down? What is that? Of course, number one, that's the monad. Where, where, do you, where are you gonna be drugged? Down to the lake of fire. Instead of finding the spark within and having that monad, recognizing you're the totality of all and having that humility and lifting yourself up into heaven, you're gonna get drugged down into where? The sea. 
It even says you're drowning in the depth of the sea. And then it'll go on to say, oh, you, you, it's better than going into the everlasting fire. It's better than going into that, to be cast into the hellfire down below. Because you want to go up. What are they talking about here? This is cosmological. They're saying, hey, take that, that childlike divine spark that's within you, right? And lift it up. Recognize what it is and lift it straight up into the, the center, the North Pole, the North Celestial Pole in the center. Otherwise, it's going to be a millstone that's going to drag you all the way down to that lake of fire at the bottom there. And what's at that lake of fire? Well, we talked about this review for those of you who don't know. What's at the bottom of that Southern Celestial Pole? It's the symbols of fire and water, like lake, water, fire, fire. Lake of Fire, and then they even have like a boat on there, and it's there's a river that goes into it, and there's a there's a there's like a whole delta that's formed at the end of that river, and then right on that by that river and in that lake, there's a bunch of fish and a net and a big ship. Eighteen seven. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Why do offenses need to come? Because this is the point of earth. Once again, earth will never be a utopia. Earth is never going to be like, everything's golden age forever and it's going to be great and we're all going to sing Kumbaya, my lord. It's not what happens down here. Why do offenses must come? Because that's what happens down on earth. What is the, what is the purpose of earth? What did, why did God make earth? Well, the purpose of life in the flesh is to force souls who have come here from the Empyrean to exert themselves against pressure, stress, and strain in order to develop their greater potential divinity. Evil is where, or earth is where evil is allowed to exist. So therefore, offenses must come because this is the place, this is the battleground in which the soul undergoes, whether it's going to be the millstone hung around the neck and go all the way down to the, the sea, or are going to be lifted up to the point and sing the songs with the, you know, songs with the Moses and Lamb and all of that. Offenses must come here. That's the purpose of earth. But woe to the man by whom the offenseth cometh. But woe unto you if, you if the offense comes from you. Because why? You're supposed to get that childlike humility and lift yourself up. 18.8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee. Now, after we just talked about this, mentioning child and angels, and then the angels are the angles, and then it's the light, or the it's the it's of course the emanations of God. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those are the literally they're talking about Kabbalah. Then the next thing they tell you is what? The very place where Kabbalah exists on your hands and on your feet. Wherefore, if I if thy hand or foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet be cast into everlasting fire. Mentions of the hands and the feet. What are the hands and the feet, by the way? The hands and the feet are the, the same. It's the same mathematics. It's 10 above and 10 below. It's... Zero one two three five. It's Kabbalah. Zero one two three five seventy nine. So, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes be cast into hellfire. What is this? This is obviously a subtle reference to what? A third eye, right? Have one eye instead of two. Right? Okay, so your third eye being your pineal gland, this is, just so you guys know, I just want to show you guys this. 
once again, a lot of this is review. Pineal gland is situated basically in the center of your brain. We've talked about the fact that there's like a little guy that look, looks, and it literally looks like a little guy that's up, that's from the top of your brain stem, the, or top of your, um, excuse me, your spinal column here, that goes up into your brain stem, and it looks like it's a little dude in there. Okay, you can even see, um, let's see if I have man inside the brain here. This is the little man inside the brain. You can even see, it looks like he's got hips and the legs that go down and here's his torso and he's got arms out like this and his head even looks like, you know, like Horus, like a falcon-headed god. It even looks like a falcon head, right? That sort of thing. And his arms are literally the hippocampus, which is your ram. Your arms, the arms of this little dude right there, is the the are the hippocampus which are your which would be like your ram's horns which is what all of this reference is and this is all the lamb in your head of course this is your lamb your ram your aries this is where all of this comes from okay so this little dude in here little guy in your head there's your rams your arm your ram your arm right of the little dude in your head and you can see exactly where his the the pineal is the pineal in this little dude is in this, it looks like it's in his heart. It looks like it's his heart, doesn't it? That's this head, this head is sort of cut off there. His head would be right there. And right here is where the pineal gland is. And that's where his heart is. Okay? The light of the body is thine eye, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Of course, right? So here's this. Then of course you have your Aries, your Ram, which is the mirror of seven which is what, the cube, one, two, three, four, five, six, resting on seven, okay? This is all happening in your, your, third, your third eye there. So what is, what is he basically saying there? If the hand or a fat, if your hand or foot offend thee, cut it off. If you got an eye cast out, what is it? What is he? This is all about purification. It's all a metaphor for purification, obviously, right? And the reference of the hands and the feet are a reference to what? Your, the mathematics of it. The reference to the the single eye. What is that? Is a reference to the third eye within. This is all about alchemical purification. This is all about you're going to do whatever it takes, whatever is necessary to purify that vessel. If I got to take an eye out, they don't mean this literally, of course, but right. It's, you know, you better, hey, if you got to be a little bit maimed when you get to heaven, hey, at least you finished it, didn't you? Right? You got to get all fucked up on the way out of the, up the mountain. Hey, at least you got up the mountain, right? And so a true alchemist will do whatever is necessary to purify his vessel for salvation. Off the hand, offend thee, take it off. If the eye, pluck it out. Okay? All of that is, is what? It's high, you know, whatever, flown language, if you will, for purification, which is the center process of alchemy. One, two, three, purification in the center. One, two, three. So calcination, sublimination, solution, purification in the center. The riddle is to find the middle. The riddle is to find the middle, okay? So here Jesus is saying, whatever you gotta do to get up to heaven, because it's way better than having that millstone hung around your neck and you have to do this whole thing again, okay? So think, think about this. This is, this is you know, because people like, and, and this is, happens all the time. Like, obviously, we have to, uh, oh, where am I? I'm totally lost here. Sorry. Excuse me. You know, people, you get these people that are like uh, super hyper, uh, like focused on their health, their physical health, looking like all muscled and stuff like that and all this other stuff, right? And it's like, okay, well, that's all fine and good. But did you purify the vessel within? Did you purify what was going on within? Because you may show up to heaven look with the Rolls Royce. And, and God's going to be like, yeah, but, you know, inside, it's like, it's totally messed up, right? And so God, in, in one sense, God is like, whatever you got to do 
to get to get home in this sense. If you got to roll in with you know a, like you know beat up old coop, at least you got there. You did whatever it takes, right? You're gonna roll in with that thing. He's got a freaking you know hubcaps falling off. You got like an ashtray sitting up here. It smells like freaking menthols, cigarettes, and you got a half bucket of KFC in the back. Half you know rack of Coors Light, button windows busted out, but you got up there. You did whatever it took, right? And that's that's what it's saying. In life, that's what it takes. If you want to reach salvation, if anything that's worth doing takes it all. Like if you're a parent, right? You want to raise a good child. It's going to take everything. You can't half-ass it. You want to run a business. You can't half-ass the business. You got to put all in if you want to be successful, okay? He's given you the, the, you know, the, the way to be successful spiritually. Humble yourself. Be as like a little child and do whatever it takes to get your ass up there. Then he goes on to say, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, not even one of them. Why? Because every single one has the spark of God within. Every one. This is also why they use strong language about saying, do not hate your enemy. Love your enemy and love your neighbor. Why? Because if you don't understand that monadic, the, 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 you know, the monadic philosophy, theology, you're missing out. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Okay, ready? That in heaven their angels do all, they behold the face of my Father which is heaven. Heaven, what is the face of the Father which is in heaven? What's the face? It's the Aries. It's the front part of a person's forehead to the chin, of course, Bonnie. This is your face. Your face is what? Your Aries, your lamb, your ram. So these angels, right? Don't offend the little ones, right? Their angels, what are they doing? They're just like, they're looking up at God. They're like, ah, oh. and what is that? Right here. Then it says this, for the son of man is come to save that which is lost. What is the son of man? That's within you. In theology, divine light of expressing a part of the whole of man. It's the divine light that's within you. That is come to say what? You. That's what it's saying. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Who's lost? You. Where do you want to go? Up north. You don't want that millstone hung around your neck. Okay? Now, I want to show you this, this math because this is a pretty potent line. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. 1811. Here's the math of this. More math, I know, but... Equals 172. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Notice there's 42 letters there. Okay? So, this is the consonants of that line. This is rule of Kolel stuff. Everything we just talked about is rule of Kolel. There's one, there's that one, there's one extra, one missing. Where is it? Where is it? Why can God take or put back this one? Why is this a rule in Gematria? Oh, well, because when you're doing all your counting, right? You count this, and it's like, you got to make sure to count one. You got to make sure to make yourself count. Here's the gematria of this. Started out at 172. Here's the consonants. It's 131. Here's the vowels. It's 41. Here's the consonants. It's 131. And here's the vowels. It's 41. Ready? If you use the rule of Kolel on 131 and you add one, what would it be? 132, correct? 
If you use the rule of kolel on the vowels and you add one, what would it be? 42, right? So in other words, the very thing that we're talking about this whole chapter, rule of kolel, we're going to use it on this main verse here. 131, add one is 132. 41, add one, it's 42. And 132 divided by 42 is pi. Because the Son of Man is what? What is the Son of Man in this? The extra one. That's the light that's within you. This whole chapter started with what? We're going to give you the gematria of Lord God, which tells you about this. We're going to give you the gematria of Lord God in Hebrew, which tells you about this. Then we're going to give you the gematria, or we're going to give you the, the geometry of the cube, which tells you about this. And then that center, that seventh point is what? That's your, that's your pi, if you will. It's, it's seven. So 172, we use the rule of Kalal. 131 becomes 132, and 41 becomes 42. And 132 divided by 42 is 3.142. But wait, there was 42 letters in this verse to begin with. Okay? But ready, but this was all about finding the middle. This remember Marty was talking about in, in his in his wild theories about how this was all about to find the middle. Correct? Do you know what? So this gives you 132, this gives you pi. Do you know what 172 times pi is? It's 540. It's the Pentagon. It's the number in the middle. Do you know what the first thing that they gave you in this chapter was? Remember? The number of Venus. And what did that give you? Five in the sky. And the five in the sky related to the five right in front of you. Hundred and seventy two times pi, which is encoded in that verse, gives you the riddle to find the middle. eighteen twelve, how think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone? What have we been talking about? The rule of Kolel, how there's this one extra, correct? There's just this one extra, and then you can bring it in, and you can take it out, and this is what they give you. You got a hundred, and then there's one that goes. <laughs> Ready? So then, so if a man of a hundred sheep, and then one goes astray, and does not that shepherd leave the ninety-nine and goeth into the mountains? It goes into the mountains. By the way, what's the mountain? The mountain that leads right up to Polaris, correct? And he seeks that one sheep that went astray. And if so be it, he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the 99 that went that didn't go astray. This is fantastic. Okay, I got 100 sheep, one goes astray. I'm the shepherd. I'm going to get my sheep. I got to take care of my shepherd. I can't leave anybody behind. I'm going to go and grab that sheep that went astray. I'm going to bring them back, and I'm going to love that one more. Why? Why? Because when one goes astray, what are they doing? They're showing their willingness for adventure, their ability to question norms, to challenge authority, and they're showing their bravery and courage for the challenge and responsibility of going it alone. That's what they're doing. 
So this, this sheep was following Christ in this metaphor, right? The sheep's like, I gotta go see what's up the mountain. I gotta go check this shit out myself. I don't like, this guy seems like he knows what he's talking about, but you know what? Unless I can verify it myself, then what's the point of this whole thing, correct? That's what a Gnostic does. Gnostic doesn't just listen to things and be like, well, that sounds pretty good. No, I gotta check that shit out for myself. And if I can say, if I can prove it, then, then we got something. This is what that sheep is doing. He's going astray and he's going up the mountain. And then the shepherd goes, is like, oh, I'm gonna love this one more. This is what Buddha did. Buddha left the castle. Buddha had a life of luxury and he was in his castle and then he wanted to understand all the pain and suffering in the world. So what did he, what'd he do? He, he took off, he went astray. He's like, I'm out of here. I gotta go figure this shit out myself. I need to see it myself. I need to, I need to undergo that pain and suffering. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit under that Bodhi tree and suffer for whatever, how many days? Then I'll experience it myself. Then God's going to see that guy and he's like, that one. I'm going to love that one more. What do you think Jesus was doing? The hell do you think I was doing for those missing 18 years? A huge part of the story that they just leave out and they leave up to your imagination, right? Well, it's actually, you don't have to imagine anything really. All you have to do is follow these basic archetypal patterns that you find within storylines and what the hell do you think Jesus was doing? Jesus went astray, if you will. He went out and learned the world. He went out and experienced the world himself. Hands-on, if you will. That's what he was doing. By the way, just like Buddha, Jesus came from a line of, of, uh, of uh, you know, royalty, if you will. He's for, that's what the first thing they tell us about those 42 generations, right? He came from the line of Abraham and David, David Babylon. Ooh, he's of the tradition, lineage, and all this other shit, right? And he took off, and he's like, oh, where was he 18 years? I don't know. He was out just like that sheep, learning the stuff himself. Auto, he was being an autodidact. That's what Gnosticism is. This is this is from Terence McKenna, okay, and it's about a two-minute clip, and it's talking about Thomas the Doubter, and this is really going to encapsulate everything we're talking about here, okay? Listen to this. Pretty good. The story about Christ that I always like to tell because it seems to vindicate some of what we've indicated here tonight is. It's a wonderful story. You know, Christ uh, is said to have appeared to the apostles in the upper room uh, 40 days after the crucifixion, I believe. And, uh, but the apostle Thomas was not present. And so then Thomas comes after this incident and, and the apostles gather around him and they say, the master was with us. He came in the flesh. And Thomas says the equivalent of you guys have been smoking too much of this red Lebanese that you've been getting. And then Christ comes again. Oh, oh, and he says in that incident, Thomas says, uh, unless I put my hand into the wound, I will not believe it. And so then Christ comes again to the upper room and he looks over the assembly and he gestures Thomas forward. And he says, Thomas, Put your hand into the wound. And so he does. Now, different people have different interpretations of what's going on here. And Thomas is always called then in Christian exegesis, Thomas the doubter. My interpretation of what's going on here is that because Thomas doubted, he alone of all the apostles touched the resurrection body. He alone was vouchsafed this immense 
privilege, and it was because he doubted. So it's a tremendous uh, uh, inspiration to doubt. So did you catch that? So basically, after the body, the resurrected body of Christ, he's just like Thomas the doubter comes up and he's like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't believe you. No, I got to see this shit for myself." And what does Jesus do? He's like, "Okay, come touch the body." So as, as Terence McKenna said, the, Thomas the doubter was the only one that was vouchsafed the privilege of touching the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And why did he do it? Because he challenged. Because he was questioning. He was doubting. Because he's just like, mm, that sounds pretty good, but I got to see this shit myself. This is what this story is all about. This is what this one sheep, and this is why they even say, it's like, hey, God's going to love this one extra special. He's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a pain in the ass for the shepherd to go up in the mountain and go grab him. But even after all of that going astray, he's going to bring him back and he's going to love that one more. What is the moral of that story? It's that, well, another one from Terrence McKenna is that nature rewards the courageous. You know, nature meaning in this sense, God. And God rewards the courageous. Not the stupid, but remember when we uh, we did the the Walt Disney Sword in the Stone? And the whole thing was about how Wart, the little runt there, Arthur was the one that got to pull the sword from the stone. And what was the whole movie about? How Arthur was like ready for adventure at any moment. He's like, yeah, let's do this shit. He's like, hey, you want to become a squirrel? He's like, yeah, well, I got a lot of demerits to do. I got to do this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but it's like, no, but you could become a squirrel. It's like, all right, let's go be a squirrel. Hey, you want to be a fish? Sure, let's do that. But you could be eaten by the larger fish. Oh, well, this is cool. It could be fun to go swimming. The whole story was about the fact that what? Arthur welcomed adventure. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like, oh, there's 99. There's one that goes. That one. That's going to be my jam. That's my dude right there. That's my jeep. Now, more rule of Kolel. Ready? There's 99 and there's one that goes, right? Okay, okay. So, where's the, there's the, why 99? They could have used any math here. They could have used, well, there's 50 and then 49 went or whatever. No, they used 99 and 100, correct? Okay. So, first off, do you know when we, we, did this and we're like, hey, I want to find some beauty. And then we like this. And next thing you know, we got Venus. We got the number of Venus right on our hands. This method of doing this, this little thing right there to find numbers in your hands, this is a multiplication table that God has put right on your hands. You can see it right there. If you want to find multiples of nine, you just go, there's 90. There's 18. One and eight fingers over here. You know, two, three times nine is, or excuse me, um, two times nine is one, two, right? So you got uh, 20, 27 here, right? Excuse me, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> I should, three times nine. So one, two, three, you put this one down, you get 27, you know, etc. cetera. Um, you know, 36, 45, 54, et cetera. You can see all there. Do you know what, what that, what that is? Those numbers are mirrored. 90 and nine, 18 and 81, 27, 72, 36, 63, 45, 54. Do you know what those add to? 99. 99, 99, 99, 99, 99, all over, 99, 1881, etc. So that 99 is a multiplication table that's right on your hands. It's the same way that we found Venus, once again, same thing, okay? Now, it's 99 and 100, right? Ready for this? This is one of these, one of these I just couldn't believe. So then I looked up 
I was like, well, this whole thing has to do with the rule of Kolel. It's obviously this idea of there's this, this one that, you know, you kind of take in and out. So then I was like, well, I'll just look up the, you know, the properties of the numbers 99 and 100. Because that would be the one, 90, right? So that's what the one, one, you know, it's what they mention. And these are the, the sum of the divisors. Well, once again, if you know rule of Kolel, 156, add or subtract one. If you add one, it's 157. Do you know what that is? It's half a pi. Half a pi. 157, 314 divided by 2 is half a pi. What's the properties of the number 100? It's 217 of the divisors in the yellow there. Do you know what that is? It's one more than 216, which is what? 6 times 6 times 6. Half a pi, 6 times 6 times 6, all using what? Rule of Kolel. Those are the numbers that are given to you in Scripture. Do you know what? 156, sum of divisors, and the sum of divisors. 156 plus 217 equals? Logos. It's the gematria value for logos. So not only did the verse tell you about this one extra one, 99 and one, then they get, it's right on your hands. Then you look at, and actually the divisors of both of those numbers, and they're one off from very extremely key numbers that you're already, we're already dealing with. Then you just add those numbers together and it gives you literally the number of logos. Which is, you know, who's who's speaking in the in the chapter right now? Um, where are we? Okay, uh, I'm missing one. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Here we go. Where are we? Oh yes, I'm sorry. Let's keep going. Oh, it says. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, let's keep going here. Okay. Excuse me, I'm the, oh, my graphics are all over the place here. Oh, here we go, sorry. Then it says this, if, let's end this. Even so, it, it, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. perish. It is not the will of your Father which is in heaven, which is in the eternal realms, that one of these little ones should perish. What does not perish? We were talking about how these children are representing angels, which represents the numbers. What does not perish? That which is eternal. Okay? So, in all of these subtle references to, to get you to understand that what they're referencing here is numbers. Now, after we're going to do the uh, pass the basket around, and then after this, it's going to do the whole rule of Kolel all over again. And then we're going to get into the Mandela effect, which should be fun. So, um, for those of you that like to support the work that we do here, um, you can send donations or uh, just a letter or anything like that to Kevin McNally and to 550 Southview Court, Mineral, Wisconsin, 53566. But soon, that is going to be Missouri. And if you would like to support the work that we do, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app, or you can become a good bird at subscribe star. So thank you to all the people that do support the work that we do here. Um, we've got lots of good things coming up on the horizon. In fact, I just heard back from um, the guy that's doing... The art for our children's book, and that looks like that will be out this year, which is great. And we are almost finished with the Tenants of the Order. We've probably got maybe another few weeks on that, and then we'll get the that going. So that's going to be coming out soon. And um, lots lots more in the Hit Parade. So, okay, let's keep going. 
18.15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Go try to settle that with, you know, be, be an adult. Go and be like, hey, if there's a pr trouble, let's try to get even Stephen here. Let's try, to, let's try to get on the level, if you will. If he shall hear thee, if he, hear, if he hears it, the word, right? Thou hast gained a brother. Okay, cool, right? You understand, you understand, you know, what the purpose of earth is and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Christ within, all of that sort of stuff. But if you will not hear thee, if this dude will not hear, hear you, then take with him, with thee, excuse me, one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay, then it says, and if he shall neglect to, to hear them, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. Okay, that, so basically what he's saying is something we've already talked about before. You go out and do your evangelizing. You go out and, and by evangelizing, that doesn't mean you like you go door to door and be like, "Have you taken Christ as your personal savior?" That's not what like true evangelism is, right? Evangelism is really actually living truth, standing in truth, living the truth that you you know practicing what you preach and all of that sort of stuff, right? And standing in it and being being that example. That's the best way you can evangelize, right? So it says basically what you do is. You could, just like everybody that's like a truth seeker, you want people to find out the truth, like whatever it is, like the earth is flat. You want to tell as many people, but there are people that are not going to listen and you know it, you've experienced it now, right? You can have all the information, all the wisdom, all the, all the, you know, all the videos to watch and all the books, and everything like that. And you can plop it into somebody's lap and they just, they'd be like, no, this is retarded, whatever it is, right? So you just recognize that there are some people that are just not going to get it. And many people have experienced this now, right? Especially with the whole COVID thing. Um, so basically what he's saying is, hey, you know what, do as much as you can. If this person will not hear you, then try again. Grab a couple more people, grab a group, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses, so there's more people that see it, and do everything in your power to try to convince this, you know, convince this person of the truth. Because not because you want to force them to believe something, because you want them to know beauty. You want them to know the truth of what's going on here. But if they don't, then you just have to move on and you just have to let it go. And that's exactly what they're saying. He's saying, if you shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church, let the church know. It was like, hey man, give it a shot. And, and he's not going to hear the church, then let them be as a heathen man or a, a publican. Okay, and a publican is a tax collector, by the way, right? Um, and this is what we read in Matthew uh, 10, the same sort of thing. You come into a house, you salute it. If the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it not be worthy, let the peace return to you. One of the hardest lessons because you really want to convince people, but chances are, you know, there's lots of people in the world that are just not going to get it. And then it says this, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet and move on. Because, we, because you know that what is going on down here is a soul's journey. That's what people are in. That's what the purpose of earth is. That's why it said earlier, it's like, hey, offenses need to come. Woe to the man that offenses come, but offenses need to come. Why? Because that's where you are. You're in a place where souls come down here to make their journey, which means some souls are, are on their first steps of their journey. And they're not going to accept God. They're not going to accept true cosmology. They're not going to accept reincarnation. They're not going to accept the astrotheology of the Bible. They're not going to accept virology is retarded. They're not going to accept history is a lie. They, plop it all in their lap. And do everything in your power and yell it up and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. They're not going to accept it. Why? Because their soul has not been tempered enough to accept that. Because that's where they are in their journey. So woe unto the people. Offenses might come. Well, why? It's because that's what happens down here.
okay? Walk away, evangelize the truth and do everything you can to help them remove those glasses, those, they, you know, they, they live glasses. But if they won't budge, let them not budge. It's what you gotta do. And that is, that is a very hard lesson. And in fact, I said it's one of the hardest lessons. But you have to understand it. You can't force a soul to get up to, you know, it's, it's the same thing as like climbing Everest. You have to stop at the base camps. If you do not acclimate your breath to the base camps, when you try to force somebody to go up to the top of Everest, they're going to die. They're going to suffocate and die. It's the same thing that's going on in people's souls' journeys down here. What was your reaction when family and friends took the jab? You wanted to stop it, right? You wanted to stop them. You're like, don't do that. I know. I've been through this whole thing. And I realize that the people behind those organizations are satanic and they're, anti, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you did your best and you stood in truth and you, you did everything in your power so that God and all the people around you could see is like, hey, this person did what they could do. The other people, they just weren't going to listen. Well, guess what? That's what happens down here. That's just what happens down here. And you have to be willing to accept it. And you have to forgive those people. And you have to be understanding and empathetic. And you have to just allow it to happen. Move on. Because there's nothing you can do. A heathen, by the way, when they talk about heathen, a lot of people think that like heathen, they mean like the, like, you know, like, I, let me just say this. A lot of the quote unquote heathen religions, as, as a Gnostic that we celebrate all the great traditions, a lot of the, what are modern day considered heathen religions, I don't even consider heathen at all, by the way. But just so you know, when they said, oh, let them be as a heathen, according to the Jews, Christians would have been heathens, just so you know. So it's somebody who does not worship the God of Israel. So the Goyim, right, Christians, people of the followers of Christ, according to the Jews, would have been heathens, just so you know. So, so there's that, right? Then it says, they end with this, is like, hey, do your best to evangelize, get a couple people, whatever, you know, do your best. If they're not going to do it, let them go on, let them move on. Then they say, then he says this. 1818, verily I say unto you, I'm telling you this, okay? Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What that person is doing down here, they're gonna have to deal with it upstairs. Because what happens? As above, so below. On earth as it is in heaven. This is, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is the Paternoster. In earth as it is in heaven. This is what he's saying. It's like, do your best. Try to get them on the path. If they get, they're not going to get on the path. Well, their path they're going to have to deal with that when they get up to heaven. Okay, this is, and also this is exactly now they're talking about cosmology as well. So this is Jesus mentioning cosmology. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth, you shall bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right? This is, um, sorry. Matthew 16, 19, we just covered this. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you do down here, you're going to have to deal with it up there. You can't get away with jack all down here. Nothing. Not only that, when this binding and loosing and having the keys, which is he, he's referencing, this is the symbols of the, of the Vatican. We've talked about this. Again, how many Catholics know this at all? Probably none. Probably, I mean, hardly any have any idea that this main symbol of Catholicism is astrological. 
It's the silver and golden gate. We've covered this enough. I know this is review. So this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. The silver gate and the golden gate. This is, and this is, um, the golden gate is formed between Sagittarius and Scorpio. And the silver gate is formed between the horns of Taurus and Gemini. And this represents the solstices. And they have been, they've been symbolized as they are by the Vatican by two silver and gold keys in color crossed with one another. And this is the literally places in where the ecliptic crosses or where the, excuse me, the Milky Way crosses the ecliptic in the sky. And so Jesus is literally saying, it's like, you better watch your shit. What you do down here is going to happen up there. You know, it's reflective, the whole thing. This is, this is how you get in and out of this whole realm, okay? Now, we'll go back to this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this again because this will go on to the Mandela effect thing. This is what it says, right? If a brother shall trespass thee, go and tell him, etc. But if he will not hear, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established, right? So this is, they're mentioning one, two, three, etc., right? And then this is one of the next lines. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And most people, and even I remember this as like two, two, two or more, right? That's usually what people do. And so people are like, this is a Mandela effect. It's like where two or more witness, why would it be two or three, right? Well, and so people, you know, will claim, let's pick a verse that may be familiar. For where there are two or more gathered together in my name, there I am amongst them, that sort of thing. No, it's actually two or three. And it actually makes sense if you read what was before in this, you know, what was listed before, right? We just talked about the fact it's like where two or three. Okay, what, what does all this mean, by the way? Okay, before we just go and be like, okay, with two or three, gather, gather, there's one or two. is like, then take with one or two more in the mouth or two or three witnesses and then two or three. And then it's like, then again, if two shall agree on this touching thing and then where two or three are gathered, why two? Why is this two or three? Number then, why two or three? What is that a reference to? We just got done with 99 and one goes astray. Then they gave you all the math to represent what? That rule of Kolel and that spark in the middle. And then now they're doing it again. We're two, gather one or two, give two or three witnesses, where two or three are gathered, you know, give or take one, if you will. That's literally exactly what they're saying. Give or take one, okay? Now, what's important about this? Why is it two or three gathered together? This is all a reference to the mathematics of the, chi- the children, the angels, the angels of God that are on your hands. Where two or three are to gather together in my name. The mathematics of your hands, once again, review, gives you the number 180, naturally. There's the triangle on your hands, the trinity on your hands. Adding one through seven is 28. Multiplying one through seven is 5,040. The division of those two numbers given right on your hands is 180. Okay, now, now that we know this, right? And mentioned earlier about other things. Oh, well, you better get your shit together because it's better than having two hands and your feet cut out. You better cut them off to get into heaven, that sort of thing. More reference to, uh, to the hands, okay? Then it says all of this, where it didn't take the one or two more in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And it's like, if two of you agree where the two or three are to gather together in my name, what is all of this reference to? Well, think about it. If you have 180, and you're trying to go to another person who's saying, hey, 
let's you know this whole like you've got God within you this is the place where souls come to get you know to get to heaven and stuff like that that's where we are I'm trying to get with you to have you understand this sort of stuff so I'm going to reach my hands out my 180 to you and you're going to try to put your 180 in me and then we're going to get what 360 we're going to be even Stephen and that's exactly what the Bible says it says hey if you can go to that other person and square up be on the level, then what's going to happen? You're going to take your 180 and that person's going to take their 180 and we're going to have 360 and we're going to be whole. If that doesn't work, then what are you going to do? You're going to grab one or two more, two, whatever, two or three more. What are you going to do? Oh, that person's still not going to hear. So you're going to grab another person's hand. You're going to grab one more and then, then you two are going to have 360. You're going to have 180 and they're going to have 180. We're going to grab them 360. So now we've got what? Got this person over here, they're not listening to God. We got 360 right here. Okay, but then it says grab two or three more, doesn't it? Well, what happens if you grabbed another group of hands? So I've got 180 here, and then that person's got 180, right? So 180, 180, 360, and now there's two or three more. Let's grab another hand, set of hands. And what are we gonna do? Grab another, okay, so I've got 180 and 180, and then we're gonna grab another 180. So that would be three total. This is according to the math of the Bible. 180 plus 180 plus 180 is what? It's 540. Where two or three, rule of Kolel, are gathered. Well, if three are gathered, three times 180, or th yeah, three times 180 is 540. What's that? Well, I think uh, we've seen it a few times in this live stream, in this, in this chapter. Several times we've seen that 180 specifically given to you in the in the in the gematria of the verses where's the other one the riddle is to find the middle the kiss of venus five 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 the riddle is to find that middle and there's the five again and then they say hey we're gonna grab a couple hands and then we're gonna, you know, it's like two or three, and then that's either gonna equal 360, which is the totality of the monad, or it's gonna equal 540. And it's gonna be so simple that, I don't know, you know, it's like a child could do it. Like, you know, like somebody with like a childlike mind that can do basic math. Anyway, so, so there's, so there's that. All of that is, that's all referencing mathematics of your hands. All of it. And so no, that's not a Mandela effect. It's actually a specific math that they're, that they're trying to reference there. So after all of that, after the rule of Kalel and the two or three, and we've got 380 and 360 and 540, and they've all referenced that in the whole verse, then, then it goes on to say this. Then Peter came, then the head, the Aries, the lamb, the ram, came to him and said, Lord... How oft shall my brother sin against me? So my brother is a total jack wagon. A total, not my actual brother, but you know, this might, you know, he's just being a total dick. I can't work with the guy. He's just a piece of shit. He's just an asshole. And he's just constantly sinning against me. And it's like, how long am I going to take this? How, how many times am I going to forgive this person? Why are you forgiving him in the first place? Well, because you're enlightened and you're smart enough to know that this is a soul's journey. Aren't you? Correct. And you also know that that person's obviously in the mud, muck, and mire of their spiritual quest. Okay? So what are you going to do? Kick them while they're down? Or are you going to try to lift them up? This is the one thing I can't fucking stand about, you fucking orthodox. Pardon my language, not really, though. 
Those Orthodox spend most of their time online berating and belittling people. You're supposed to kick them when you're down? Or are you supposed to help them up? Assholes. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So seven times? Should I forgive him seven times? And that's it. The eighth time? Ah, screw you. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to exponentiate that because you have compassion, because you're empathetic. Not sympathetic, you're empathetic because you're a soul on your journey too. And at one point, you were in the same position as this idiot. Are you going to recognize the divine spark is equal within one another? Or are you going to be like, I'm awesome. Look how much I'm crushing. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, more math. Kabbalistic. Once again, all of this stuff was Kabbalistic, mentioning the hands, the angels, the hierarchy of angels, the cherub, all of that sort of stuff. Then they're going to give you the cipher, cryptically. Jesus saith unto him, no, seven times, what is the cipher made out of? Seven. It's all based on seven. You know this thing that decodes the Holy Bible? Yeah, that thing. So seven, so it's like, hey, seven times? No, not seven, seven until 70 times seven. 70 times seven is 490. That's no more than seven squared times 10. So in other words, you're gonna square the number seven and then you're gonna focus on the number 10. You're gonna square the number seven and then you're gonna focus on the number 10 to get that 490. That's exactly what we have here. That right there is, you know how you square the number seven? You go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And that's seven times seven, it's 49. Do you know where you find that number seven? On your hands. We just did it. Seven times, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. 49, 7 squared times 7. What's going on here, right? So in other words, your forgiveness shall be exponentiated. Why 70? Why did they? Why all these numbers? 7 and 7. Okay, Kabbalistic, we got that. They just unveiled very cryptically the cipher. Absolutely. But beyond that, what is the 70 a mention of? Well, do you know how we started this whole chapter? Let's go back. Let's go back. So I know where I am. So, you know, we started this whole chapter and I was like, Hey, this is the first thing is uh, we're on chapter 18 and it's verse 1, right? And 181, once again, we got that. Oh, I'm sorry. Got too many graphics. Always too many graphics. 181 is one away, rule of Kolel, from the number that's on your hands. And what is this? It's the 42nd prime is 181. It's what we named the church after, right? through you know the math of it so the 40 the 42nd the 42nd is how this started 42nd prime then we look at this like seven times 70 well do you know the the greek old testament or the septuagint it was called the septuagint it was the greek translation of the old testament and septuagint means 70 that's what it means septuagint means 70 do you know where you get 70 where 42 is. So in other words, let's just say this. Let's say you take the gematria value of holy and then you take the gematria value of Bible. And then you just add through those numbers, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And do you know what you get? The Septuagint, 70. 12, adding 12 through 16 is 70, Septuagint. 
Do you know what is between 12 and 16? 13, 14, and 15. It's the place you establish pi and it equals 42. 42. Between holy and Bible, 42 and pi. Include holy and Bible, you get the Septuagint. And this is cryptically what Jesus is saying. Wherever it is. I say not unto thee until seven times, but in seventy-seven times seven. Uh, oh, I, I missed one here. Okay. Then, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven, 1823, likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is a, is a measure. Well, I can, I'll get into this. Basically, if you have 10,000 talents, it's something like you could never pay back. Each talent was, uh, a talent is, a, a, I think, a weight of gold, I want to say. Um, each talent was roughly as much as a common worker could earn in 20 years. So one talent is what you could earn in 20 years. So the amount of 10,000 talents is more than anybody could hope to pay back in a lifetime, right? So the first thing you have to ask is, well, why did this servant allow this guy to get into that much debt? And why did, you know, there's all sorts of questions there. But so, um, so he says, okay, uh, he had 10,000 talents in debt. But as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. So you couldn't pay. So this Lord is like, all right, sell everything. Sell your wife and your children and all that you have and a payment to be made. Now, what kind of a piece of shit would do this? What, what kind of a person would, would do this? Um, well, it, they tell you it was a certain king. Remember how I mentioned, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that they, they used this exact same language? There was just a certain person that did this. A certain person. When they're mentioning that, that's like a, it's like a, you know, they're, uh, they're kind of ripping on them, right? It's sort of like a cut down. Like this, a certain king is basically mentioning uh, followers of Judaism, right? They're not very moral people is what he's saying. A certain king is, okay? So then... The certain king, he's like, okay, uh, you can't pay me back. Sell me, give me everything. What kind of a freaking evil piece of shit is this guy, right? Has no compassion, right? The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. So now this servant is not is not focusing on that Lord within, right? The servant is now like, oh, you're my God now. Then this certain king, this total piece of shit, forgave him. Because, oh, you're going you're gonna to consider me king now? Okay, cool, awesome. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But at the same time, the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. This guy owed, you know, 10, 10, 100, 100 less, 100% less than he owed the other guy. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow, fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Okay? And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. It's like, hey, look at this. You just let this guy go. This guy, there's another guy that owed him and he didn't let him go. He sent him into prison. 
Then the Lord, this Lord, after he had called him and said, O wicked servant, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all thy debt because thou desiredest me. I forgave you because you saw me as the king. Should now thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. What is this? This is basically put yourself in another person's shoes. Empathy, compassion, forgiveness. This is all about, this is all about, once again, totally recognizing what earth is and what all of these individual souls are undergoing right there. They're undergoing their spiritual quest, okay? And you have to immediately say, well, what would I do if I was in that person's shoes? Okay, because guess what? Chances are at some point in your reincarnation journey and how many lives you've had here, you were. You were. And this is the whole, this is the whole point of this thing is that several lifetimes, it means you were the king at one point. You were the slave at one point. You were the, you were the, you were the, the household master and you were the servant, right? You were the politician at one point and you were also, also the, you know, the, the person, the voter that was getting screwed. Do you, you get what I'm saying here? Okay. So immediately what this is saying is he's showing you this parable to say, hey, put yourself in another person's shoes and have total forgiveness. Because otherwise, what are you doing? You're holding that spark down. And what are you doing? You're acting like you're better than that spark. I'm further along in my spiritual journey. Well, guess what? At the end of that journey, you're all, you're all one. You're all the same. So I, I said this a long time ago. This was long before I'd ever gotten to like biblical stuff and all this other stuff. And I remember um, I was telling my friend this. And I said, I was like, I want to ask forgiveness for any and all whom I've harmed in in life and I want to forgive any and all who have harmed me and it was like a way to sort of like try to become even Stephen like genuinely ask for forgiveness and immediately say hey if you screwed me over or harmed me whatever I'm just going to let it go and, and, and forgive you and let it go that's cleaning the vessel that's 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 purification you know you know what's not purified is when you hold on to things and I know this too well Oh, uh, because that's what eats up at you. That's what eats inside. That's what actually is the thing that anchors that light that's within you and holds it down, right? It's like, oh, that guy screwed me over. Like, oh, fuck that guy. The guy owes me. You're going to take that to your grave? What if you have to meet that person on the other side? Are you still going to be like, you owe me 10,000 talents? Talents don't mean shit over here, dude. On this side of the fence, gold doesn't mean anything. So God's just saying, take care of all of that here and, be, and, and seek out forgiveness in your fellow man. And that's one of the hardest lessons that you can possibly learn, I think. One of the hardest lessons. So, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother's trespasses, your father is going to bring you back down here. You're going to put that millstone around your neck and you're going to be floated down to the sea and next thing you know, you're going to be back up here doing all this shit again. And who wants to do that? No, we want to get up to heaven. We want to be good part. Okay? Thank you all for joining me today. Um, if you'd like to become a subscribe star, if you'd like to become a good bird, you can become a good bird at Phoenix at subscribe star. <laughs> you can become a Phoenix bird at Kilo bird at Sigmund's bird. You can become Timothy, my bird. 
Uh, once again, donations, Venmo, buy me a coffee, cash app if you'd like to support the fine work that we do. Uh, snail mail donations or uh, checks if you'd like. Uh, Kevin McNally, N2550, Southview Court, Mineral, Wisconsin, 53566. We are streaming from, to Rockfin and um, YouTube this morning, and we are on Odyssey, Rumble, and BitChute thanks to ContentSafe. Thank you, ContentSafe. You can also get this at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. And um, thank you so much. Um, okay, that's gonna do it. Is this Hebrew and Aramaic lover Jacob? Has had to go. Okay. Um, we are doing the gathering uh, next weekend. So, and there are some tickets left, just a few tickets left, I guess. So, um, it's gonna be great. Loads of people there. Looking forward to it. And also, Flattoper Fest is happening. So, if you get a chance, go there. Okay. Thank you all for being here this morning. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, there's a, there was <laughs> sponsoring future swear words. Thank you, Javier Mushiga. Uh, there was a lot of math in this one. There really was. So, um, but it is what it is. Sometimes you just got to get math, mathy. Okay, that's gonna do it. So, um, donations. Did you send? Them? Yeah. Oh, thank you, uh, Andrew Masonette. Hundred dollars. Good morning, church. Did a, did great at the casino Friday night. Here's to give. And by the way, any more info on t-shirts? Yes, we'll we'll have to work on that. We've just been so busy. We've we've been traveling and in Missouri and setting up a place and we built an outdoor shower partially and an out uh, outhouse partially and cleared a bunch of land and we've just been super busy. So that is something that is on the hit parade. Janvina, Rule of Kolel, thank you so much. Alicia Crawford, thank you. Corby Olson, Become as Children, love you. Thank you so much. Jared Poole, much love, Marty and Jen. Thank you so much. Eric Colesell, thank you. Just what the spiritual doctor ordered. Thank you so much. Crystal Rose, one copy. Thank you so much. Small Axe, you the man. Thank you so much. Eugene Jacques for the 20. I really appreciate that. Um, and we have these. Joshua Crawford, Rodney Taylor. These are from last week and some, some this week too. Jeremy Hines, Daniel Hager, Shannon Seal. What's up, girl? I am. Thank you so much. Virginia Murray, James Dwayne, uh, Jared Poole. Again, Jennifer McLaughlin, Eric Cosell, uh, Janine Grassi, uh, and that's it. Okay, that's going to do it. Thank you all so much for the support. And if you'd like to uh, support the work, you can also go to the church store. We have books and all that sort of stuff. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Thank you all for joining me today. I will see. I don't know if we're going to do um, next Sunday because we are going to be at Music and Sky. I did plan to um, uh, upload... Uh, a video or something like that. I don't know if we're going to get time because I don't want to miss any of the live streams and I don't know if they're going to let me live stream from there because I don't know what that is. But So I might have a video for you guys either way. So um, hopefully if it all works well and I'll try to let you know via Telegram if we are going to go live on Sunday or have a, a, a pre-recorded video for you guys. So Because I don't like to miss Sunday services. We need You guys You guys are at a church. You need a church service, right? You need a Sunday service. Okay. That's going to do it for me. Guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Okay, next week I think we're going to start with, uh, or get, continue on, I should say, Matthew chapter 19, and then, yeah, we'll do it. So, okay, that's going to do it, guys. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Sunday, and I love you all so much. All right, that's going to do it. As always, many blessings and much love to all. <laughs>